Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. dedicated to Henry Farmer. In the year of the primal fall, the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horde. Arise from the dead and attack from the grave. The killing won't stop until first light. We'll bring you to hell because we want to enslave. Your soul will be frozen with fright. We'll break through the crust, leave from our crypts protected by eternal life. Lay down the laws from our satanic scripts, bringing you nothing but strife. Death metal. Yeah, why am I reading that? Who knows? I think it's just because... I happen to have a copy of Seven Churches on vinyl, of course, original, uh, sitting right in front of me as I was listening to it just before beginning this podcast. So I thought, well, wouldn't that be quite the thing to start off Tuesday's music, heavy metal, rock and roll podcast, all that kind of thing. And also, it's just a bit cult. Wasn't that the back of that shirt from my good friends in... My good friends in... God damn it, I can't remember the name of the band. Anyway, has my good friend Nick Barker in it. And it says, Seven Churches on Vinyl or Fuck Off. Answers in the comments who I am talking about. My grey matter is, shall we say, under some attack from the ravages of time. Well, Tuesday's podcast is really just something simple. It's basically a day in the life of a big festival or what is it like to play a big festival, all the kind of things that go on behind the scenes. Seeing as Primordial just played Hellfest, um, and I'm sure there are many of you who are listening who went there. Um, certainly I met quite a lot of people who came up to me because of the, uh, talked to me because of the podcast and that kind of thing, which was great to actually meet people in person who um, have been listening to it and had some questions or comments, and thankfully all pretty positive, which is quite um it's quite a cool thing because when you started or when I started doing the podcast, it was mainly just um, a way to combat the insanity of lockdown. Um, and you're not really quite sure who you're speaking to because you're just sitting in a room speaking into a microphone, as I am now from a cold and grainy and grainy. Well, I suppose it is kind of grainy, gray and rainy overcast Dublin. While, of course, last weekend, if you've been at Hellfest, you will know it was almost 40 degrees. But I suppose the clue is in the name Hellfest, right? Yeah, pretty hot. There's, how's that for a pun? So anyway, they say, write about what you know. So I think it was the fifth time that we played Hellfest, fourth or fifth time, perhaps. Um, and so I thought I would just do a 
one of these Tuesday podcasts about what it is like to play at a big festival. Before we continue, the show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. Um, you can use the promo code ALAN in North America, which includes the Canada, um, as long as your assets are not frozen. Um, and you can order there and use that promo code and get 10% off your um, order, all that kind of thing. The links will be below in the description. And there are some other returning sponsors, but I shall mention them in a moment. Now, if any of you have gone to Hellfest, I mean, I must say that um, even though Vakan Open Air has stepped up its game in recent years, and by that I mean basically making the field, making the um, the festival itself into an incredible experience. Um, so just set the scene at Hellfest. I mean, since we played there, it has not only got bigger and bigger and bigger, but the experience itself, when you enter, you basically feel like, yeah, you're entering another sort of... Um, I suppose what it is is the influence of computer games, is the influence of all of that kind of culture to kind of create a landscape. Um, and Hell, Hellfest kind of looks like some sort of dystopian um, steampunk adventure castle some sort of Disney from hell, if you want to call it like that. It is quite incredible. It's an incredible spectacle. Um, for example, the, the 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 road when you enter, which has all, you know, the shops and the merchandise and all that kind of stuff, is kind of made to be like a spaghetti western. Um, I suppose you would have all the lean-tos, all the saloon bar entrances. It's all kind of wooden, but kind of made like a film set. And, you know, in the distance, you can see what looks like the mirage of a sort of steampunk castle. The whole main um, arena has got a kind of castle ramparts running all along its, um, you know, frontier, which, while bands are playing, are shooting 10, 20-foot jets of flame into the air. There's, like, hands holding laser Sauron eyes sort of gleaming out, looking out over the crowd. There is just random um, cauldrons of um, effluvial gas, gaseous sort of, I don't know what you'll call this, uh, portals to hell, whatever you want to call it, opening, spilling out smoke over the crowd. I mean, it is. It's quite incredible. And this year, um, for the bands or for people who are in the, you know, the backstage bit, there was what they called the panorama bar, where you walked up and you could see out over the crowd and see the main stage. I mean, quite incredible. It's it's a work of genius. You must really um, concede, and it gets bigger and huger every year. And I could see that if I was a 16-, 17-year-old, 19-year-old punter, it would literally just be awe-inspiring um, to be able to go and see um, you know, everything from youth of today all the way to, I don't know, let's say Five Finger Death Punch, who I'm going to do a bit of a podcast on for some reason, but I'll explain that later. Um, the experience is almost overwhelming compared to when I went to festivals in the mid-90s, which is really just a field, some gates, here's a tent, here's a band. Okay, so that band was Manowar, Merciful Fate or Metallica. Great. Um, but there was no real effort to put into making this an interactive experience. So you really get some bang for your buck for um, at Hellfest Open Air and to just walk around and just take in all the sights. Like I said, it's like being in some sort of steampunk, dystopian um, Disneyland from hell. Um, and it is quite incredible. And the work that goes into creating that um, every year. I mean, as I understand, I think the people have bought the land. Maybe I could be wrong in that. And so I think their structures are stay there permanently. 
Um, I certainly don't know how you could dismantle some of them and then put them back up or what would even be the point in that or you just add to things like some crazy Jenga puzzle all the time. But what you what you certainly notice, and this is one of the first things, is that the amount of money that this brings into the local economy. Clisson, when you're in it, which is a local village or town, and Nantes also. Arrive in Nantes Airport and the when you go through um, arrivals, the uh, the sliding door just basically says welcome to hell, Hellfest, etc., etc. So what normal people landing must think of that is quite incredible. But Hellfest has co-opted the entire region. Everything from jam to clothing to everything that you go to Clisson is hell this, hell that. The local mayor must be on his or her knees thanking the people who um, created Hellfest for the millions. It must bring millions upon millions of euro into that local economy. And to think that if you project that against some of my podcasts over the past year or two, which have been about how, um, you know, lockdown and its fundamental nature, its sort of authoritarian nature and the sort of stay-at-home culture, it, I think it, it, it may attempt to enforce on people. Um, you have that on the one hand... And then you place this huge influx of money into the local economy and the experience that is self has. But it is, you wonder which can win out. Because let's be honest, stay-at-home culture, um, when you understand that so many small towns and villages are built on tourism, they're built on experiences like this to bring money into the local economy that are different to the usual governmental measures, you realise how important they are. And if you get rid of live music and it does not happen, this does not happen. And who do those people in those local towns vote for? I would say they probably vote for either extreme party who promises something a bit different, etc., etc. Knock-ons, repercussions, every action has a reaction, etc., etc. But I'm not going to get bogged down in the political context because that's maybe for Friday. So how does it begin for Primordial? Well, what happens is our booking agent gets an offer. Here is the offer, XXX amount of money, whatever. And then this is transferred to the band. Um, we all see if we are available. Generally, of course, as I've said before in the podcast, and people don't believe me, Primordial is not a professional band. And when I say professional, I mean you can make a living from. As in, if you're an electrician and you make your living as an electrician, you could cons- you could say, I'm a professional electrician. But the fact is most musicians don't make um, uh, a living from music. In fact, a very tiny percentage. So in theory... Um, most of the bands on the bill at Hellfest, at least unless you're on the main stage, um, everyone else, probably everyone, and that means every band in all the other stages, with the exception of maybe the final band. Um, but even that is difficult. Speaking to the Mayhem guys, they will tell you the same thing. They all need supplementary incomes. Um, and so therefore, that is not being considered, in my opinion, a professional musician. Anyway, so the offer comes into our booking agent. We see if we are available, because as you say, or as I said, you might be working another job that weekend. You might not have the days off work. There are all these very normal concerns. But by and large, we've never turned down a Hellfest. So um, the day begins, I suppose, at about four or five in the morning, unless you've gone over the day before, but four or five in the morning for the band. Um, Flights now... You very rarely get a f- comfortable flight at 11, 12, 1, um, a, 1 p.m. You know, later morning, early morning. Y- there's very rarely, oh, it's a nice comfortable flight at 2 p.m. where you get somewhere at 4. What has happened, and this is post-pandemic, and I think it's been accelerating for the last couple of years, but certainly post-pandemic is everything seems like hassle. 
Nothing seems like um, an easy route anymore. Airports are in chaos post-pandemic. They can't get people to work for them. They can't get people to work within them. Why is that? Because they don't pay enough and the cost of living crisis has made it almost untenable and impossible and unworkable. And an awful lot of, I suppose, the migrant classes who would have once worked in airports have also returned home as well. And that's a, um, that is a circumstance that belongs to pandemic and lockdown where people decided to go back to the countries um, where they came from very often because they found them less restrictive. Certainly that is the case in Ireland. Um, and who would blame them? No one. In fact, they could have taken me with them. I would have been very happy. Anyway, well, maybe not happy, but, you know, less, um, less like the main character in Taxi Driver. Let's just say that. Anyway, what was his name? Travis Bickle. Yeah, there you go. Less Bickle. I would have been less Bickle, more Pickle. Whatever you want. Anyway, so the day starts early. Um, you, we all meet at Dublin Airport. Um, you're advised now to be two or three hours in advance to avoid the huge, insane queues. Um, we were able to fly this time into Nantes Airport, um, which is the nearest to Hellfest. We don't bring spare guitars, which is unusual for some bands bring those kind of coffin-shaped double guitars. We don't. If you break a string, um, then you literally have to restring it on the stage. We don't. We didn't. We didn't bring crew for Hellfest. Sometimes we have. One person doing front of house, one person doing lights. As it happened for Hellfest, um, the sound man from the band Necrophobic stood in um, and did a great job by all accounts. Much kudos to him. Um, but, you know, you have to kind of feel out and, you know, look around for who, who could do the sound, etc., etc., if you don't have any crew. Now, some bands have crew, some bands don't. For example, this time at Hellfest, we played after Rotting Christ. They had some guys with Rotting Christ shirts on helping them out afterwards. We didn't bring anyone. So you don't bring, we didn't bring extra guitars. Um, also, we have a left-handed guitar player. So if you lose, if the, if the, um, and we have been in this situation before where the, um, if you, especially if you connect through Shipwall in Amsterdam, um, this is in, this is a, a connecting uh, airport where often things are lost and tight connections are very, very tight. I don't know why. It's just notorious among bands. Charles de Gaulle and Shipwall, if you want to lose stuff. Um, and if you lose a left-handed guitar and you only have one, that puts you in a really difficult position because you need to find another band on the bill with a left-handed guitar who are willing to lend you that left-handed guitar. Um, we've been in that position two or three times. In fact, we played in Estonia um, and we had to, I had to literally put out on social media a call for do we have a left-handed guitar player in, um, in Estonia who is coming to the gig who can bring a guitar? And that's basically what we had to do. Yeah, um, you know, you think we'd know better, but you also have to understand that now that flights are three, four, five hundred euro, that used to be a hundred euro, and a guitar fifty euro each way, bringing guitar for four flights um, takes two hundred or maybe two hundred and fifty euro off the money that you make at the end. And now that because we're being, as I said, gouged, um, gouged with inertia, um, so often these days um, the temptation is to just not bring all that stuff. Um, so anyway. What happens is is um, you have your time slot, your 9 p.m. Let's say for Primordial was 9 p.m. You must be uh, there. They want you there three to four hours in advance. How it works is um, you're supposed to, theoretically, go down several bands before. What you will have on our stage, let's just take the last few bands. Rotting Christ, Primordial, Abath, Mayhem. 
Every band has a like a slot, like a parking space behind the stage, behind the huge curtain. And within that parking space is your gear, your guitars, all this kind of stuff. So your theory, you're supposed to arrive sometime on um, on the festival three, four, five hours in advance. Um, bring your stuff down to this parking space and then go back to the backstage. And then when it's about an hour, hour and a half beforehand, you're supposed to go back down. There may be three drum kits lined up in a row at the side of the stage, stage left. And say if you were looking at our stage in Hellfest, stage left. That's why the stage was a little bit um, off-centre. There was a bigger space um, to the left, which had, uh, you know, the kind of Hellfest logo behind it. The reason for that is because there's three drum kits lined up and then three um, movable sets of backline. Backline is amps and heads, um, all the stuff you see that we play through. So all of those are on wheels and each band basically in a row, basically like a, you can know, like a parking, parking spaces, you're moving up one and then you're moving, moved aside. So as one drum kit is, so as Rodding Christ are playing, our drummer is setting up his drums to stage right. Well, for us, stage right, you stage left. He's setting up his cymbals and everything. You're not supposed to play while the other band are playing. Some bands do, um, which is really fucking annoying. But by and large, it's not something you do. It's it's kind of disrespectful. But you set up your amps, your heads. Previously to that, you have your rider, your technical rider, which your um, booking agent sends to the festival, which says, Primordial once, lately we've moved to Orange. If there's any Orange um, people working in Ireland who would like to sponsor Primordial, please get in touch. It might be a good idea. Uh-huh. Anyway. There's a little backstory to that I won't explain, but how great it would be. Anyway, so Orange is kind of what we've moved to. Ampeg is the bass. Ampeg, um, um, which is the kind of standard, the huge fridge bass amps you see, and Orange we've sort of moved to, and old Marshalls. Anyway, so we are at the side of the stage while Rodding Christ is playing, maybe 20 minutes before they start. It's great. You get to watch Rodding Christ. Brilliant. One of my favorite bands and such old friends and great people. Anyway... So you set up your equipment at the side and when Rodding Christ is finished, literally the crew come on, wheel the drums uh, to the back of the drums or on a riser with wheels and wheel off their amps and move them to the side and back. And then ours are wheeled and moved on. It's all a very, very clinical process. Their backline is then dismantled and Abbott's backline is moved up as into the next in position. It's kind of like, I suppose, flights waiting to take off. Um, it's supremely organized. The crew, of course, at Hellfest are supremely professional um, and everything you can imagine is taken care of. Uh, they, you know, There are some festivals, of course, now you can see post-pandemic, a lot of crew moved off into other jobs and so people have volunteers who don't really know about gear or about tech or about stuff. Um, you know, look, people, people helping are people helping, but sometimes um, if you have too many people around, it can kind of get in the way. And so... You know, Hellfest itself was 40 degrees. How do we cope with that? Personally, um, you know, the rest of the guys are a bit later than me arriving at the festival. So I spend the time being agitated, stressed out and pacing up and down because that's my manner. Um, some people lock into a good chat with somebody, sit and meet old friends. I do, but I find myself in an endless cycle of 90 minute, um, 90 second conversations with people because I'm, you know, you're anxious, you're waiting to play. Um Oddly enough, I have no nerves before playing. I don't feel anxious or butterflies or nerves. I know, um, you know, my old, um, how should we say? Well, Aaron from My Dying Bride once told me that every before every gig, he, he has to get sick. He feels so nervous. Um, 
Very interesting. I never felt that. I never felt any nerves, so to speak. Not not in 15 years. Um, so a, a huge crowd like Hellfest, which is 10, 12,000 people, whatever it is, um, I don't have any nerves. What I do worry a bit about is my voice. Um, as you can hear, it's still not, it's still a bit... Bleh. But what I do, especially when it's hot, it's 40 degrees um, during the day, what you try and do is not speak too much. Um, drink water. Um, as the Andreas from Necrophobic told me, eat something salty to keep the water in. Um, so good ideas like peanuts or something like this or something with some uh, good salt in it to stop you just endlessly peeing all day. But you have to stay really hydrated. When When is that not good advice? Stay hydrated. For your entire life, that's good advice, right? Stay hydrated. Anyway, um, and so... I don't drink. I didn't drink any alcohol before playing at Hellfest um, or any alcohol afterwards, which may strike some people as unusual, especially people who know me might find it incredible. But it's just too damn hot and there's too much riding on this festival and I can't afford to not sing very well. I had a new microphone. Um, you go over, you talk to the monitor person. The monitors, like I said, the, are the wedges in the front of the stage where we hear our own um what we want to hear of the rest of the band if uh, for me the two in the front are only vocals i don't need anything else because everyone else is so loud you walk over to sh this particular hellfest kieran's side of the stage was pretty loud he had pretty pumping a guitar behind him which is fine when the height of the stage is above people's heads um and people are six seven eight feet away which is what hellfest is if the crowd if the stage is lower and the crowd are right up against the stage you really need to keep this, those amps down because people at the front will just get blasted by basically super loud guitar but on a big big huge stage like hellfest which is 30 40 feet across and 30 40 feet w deep maybe um you can afford to have your amp pumping uh, which the guys did anyway so I go over and I will say to the monitor, I need only vocals and I will we'll work out a hand signal system where I'll just point to whoever it is and like say, you know, four, hold up four fingers, which means four strings, bass, um, and just, or just, you know, kind of how shall we say, subtly point to the member I want a little bit higher. And you try to not let the crowd see this because it makes it, things a bit weird if you're screaming and shouting at the monitor guy. But you turn your back and look at the drums and then look at the guy and go up a little bit. You know, you know the symbol. You know the symbol. It's kind of the same symbol you might use to um, infer that somebody has um, a small, small genitalia. You do like this, which means turn it up a little tiny bit. Anyway, of course, that would have made sense if you could see what I was doing here. Um, or, you know, <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. Anyway, so um, no, I don't have any fear. I don't have any nerves. Don't get anxious. None of this kind of thing. It's really just about the voice as long as... Once you and it, what it is is once you hit that first verse of the first song and you're like I'm in I'm dialed in it's going to be fine good um, you, and you feel confident as I said before um, about singing in fact I'm doing a uh, podcast I'm recording another one now about singing about um, what you know, some of the key ingredients to trying to um, sing on stage etc etc anyway so. Um, once you get through that first two or three minutes and everything sounds good and you feel confident and you know the crowd are with you behind you of course there's always the worry when you're playing between such incredible bands as Rodin Christ and Abath that, that worry that like will people still be interested in the band are, you know after the two or three years are we less popular now you have to acknowledge those things sometimes and I see it sometimes with a band they, they come running out and they and they're you know crestfallen because there's 
the tent is kind of empty or whatever, you know, and you wonder, wow, how did that happen? You could be you could be clashing with a huge band on the other stage. If you're, for example, um, you know, a sort of a newer thrash band and you have to go up against Slayer, Creator, Megadeth on the main stage, sometimes this can be hard. But if you're in a big tent, don't forget also at 40 degrees heat, many people come into the tent to get out of the sun as well. So usually those tents are pretty bloody full, but you really preferably would like to be playing as the sun is going down so things are less bleeding warm. But yeah, clashing with a huge band on the main stage, um, that can be very difficult. I remember playing Sweden Rock once the first time and we were standing on the stage about 100 metres away from watching Poison. We were after Poison and I don't mean German um, into the abyss Poison. I mean your mama don't dance, etc. Poison. And they put on a great show and I just looked up and realised we brought the small backdrop and it just looked like a postage stamp on this huge stage and I just thought, look at this, how ridiculous we look after the, you know, fireworks and explosions and luminous pink logo of poison. Well, anyway, um, and I didn't wear a headband in or a mandana in solidarity with Brett Michaels that night. However, anyway, so you play your Hellfast gig. Um, it goes great. You're you you do lose so much. Um, I think you I think you must lose pounds in sweat at least for me as someone who moves around and kind of runs around a little bit a la black metal Bruce Dickinson. You lose an awful lot of um, body uh, sweat or whatever. And so the first thing you want to do, of course, is just rehydrate, stay hydrated again, and then you just have to kind of. Um, I suppose just sort of calm down, just sort of take a moment to consider what just happened. Um, I'm often lately now worried about my hearing, so the kind of earplugs that you have. Lately, I haven't found the right ones, you know, still on the verge of figuring out my in-ears, wireless in-ears. Um, and you just decided to dismantle the stage. You take down your backdrops, you fold them up. If you've got crew, this is what they do. And then you just kind of end up sitting in the backstage sort of going over have you made any mistakes what could have been better by and large thankfully wood playing live is what you want to do is reach the Dennis Irwin and that's a football reference the Dennis Irwin stage where the worst gigs are 7 out of 10 or 6 if something really breaks or goes wrong but if the if your worst gig is still good um, because on the stage something can go wrong that the audience will never notice or if the sound stage is bad maybe the audience never notices if you've got a good sound man etc um uh, so that's what you want to reach. You want to reach a level where you just don't have bad, bad gigs. Even your bad gig is still a good gig, by all accounts. And when you hit the right note, um, you get an incredible gig, a great gig. And so this is um, this is the Hellfest experience. Then you have a couple of hours to wind down. But from my side, um, I had to get up at uh, 6 a.m. the next morning to fly from Nantes to Paris, Paris to Dublin, get in a car and drive four hours to Derry in Northern Ireland to play Frost and Fire with Dread Sovereign and then play again with the covers band Heavy Artillery after that. Um, so I'm a sucker for punishment, a glutton for punishment. Um, and there's never a moment of taking it easy or just being like, ah, well, maybe I just shouldn't do that and try and... Um, you know, take care of my grey matter or your voice or whatever else. It's always, um, you know, sort of tally forth into the fray. Wow, what a modern cultural reference that is. You just keep, keep on keeping on. And so the Hellfest experience generally, 
Um, then you get a couple of hours afterwards. And like I said, I found myself watching Five Finger Death Punch. Um, and it made me consider the implications of, of taste when it comes to metal. And so I'm going to do a podcast about um, people's taste. Is it wrong or right to criticize, um, you know, what is a band that clearly many, many people enjoy? Um, and so it's kind of kind of interesting. I've been writing something and I'm going to do a podcast about that. Um, it's been slightly influenced by I'm very big fan of the Justin Hawkins of the Darkness, his YouTube channel, um, which I think he fares to be try. He tries to analyze music from a quite interesting and objective point of view, but also not just say everything sucks. Everything's terrible. Everything's horrible. Anyway. And I also am quite the fan of the first Darkness album. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um, how does big when you're when you're a band, a medium sized band at a big festival, you're kind of like a cog in the apparatus. But the rewards are um, playing in front of this big, huge crowd and they are worth it. I will say this, though, that merch sales compared to what they were 10 years ago for playing festivals are 10 percent of what they were. People go to a big festival like that. And when I say that the experience, the festival experience of Hellfest has become so huge, so incredible, so overwhelming. People buy Hellfest merch. They don't necessarily go and look for your merch as they used to anymore. I remember playing festivals for the first time in Sweden and Finland, and you couldn't bring enough shirts for people to to buy. First festival in Finland, um, there was hundreds of people trying to buy shirts five minutes after we played. I don't think that's the experience of um, uh, playing at Tuska Festival anymore. Tuska, another great festival, really awesome to play. Um, but I don't think that's the experience for most bands anymore. Maybe it is for the big, big bands, but I sense the days of bands selling um, pretty decent merch and coming home with a bit of extra cash. That ain't happening anymore. Um, and certainly it ain't happening in a cashless society. But however, that's again another question. So um, the rewards, um, I suppose, on those terms are slightly different. Um, and certainly... I think the idea of bands moving their fees up is something that the industry is pushing against. But of course, that's natural. That's business, right? Um, but yet, I will say that compared to 10 years ago, flights that once cost 100 are now costing four, sometimes 500 euro to, to mainland Europe once you add in baggage. However, that's not what we're here to discuss. So Tuesday's podcast is just a little, um, a little sort of anecdotal... Um, half an hour ramble through the day's experience of playing a big festival um, and it is it is ultimately very rewarding you have to project yourself in a different way um, you know the my thing is to make eye contact with people and be sort of how we say visually intense and very in people's faces and you can't do that when you're six seven eight feet away so sometimes you have to um, let you have to project. You have to make your gestures slower and broader. And you have to allow for the lights behind you to move, and which is hard if you're in there during the day or it's not dark yet. But you have to allow them to do some of the work. And you also have to allow the music to speak for itself. You can't be worried all the time about, is this song hitting the right note, etc., etc. As in, as in, I do have a problem with maybe too many hey, hey, hey's, you know, where you're trying to get the crowd into what you're doing. But... To be honest, at a festival, when you've got 50 minutes, you have to hit hard with your five or six, five songs for promoting those 40 minutes, so six songs. Hit hard with your biggest punches. People often say, oh, why you didn't play something from the second album? And the reason is because you've got to hit with your six hardest punches. And um, if you want obscure songs, you've got to come to the club show and you'll hear some. But a festival, maybe you have time for one curveball or two. If promoting songs are seven, eight, nine minutes long, 
um, you got to hit with your biggest punches. So you got it, coffin ships, Empire Falls, Rome Burns, blah, 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 blah. If you want to hear something obscure from the third album, or that probably isn't going to happen. A big festival is not really the place for having eight, nine, ten minutes falling on. I'm not going to say deaf ears, but I will say, like I said, you got to land with your biggest punches. And that's kind of how it is. You've got to slightly alter your stage interaction, your interaction with the crowd. You've got to make broader gestures. Um, you've got to try and project your voice more. You've got to try and reach the person at the back of the tent somehow. And that's the stagecraft that's different between playing in a small club, a small venue, and playing to 10,000 people or 15,000 people. And that's just something you learn um, or you don't learn or you just it's not your thing and you let the music speak for yourself. So on those terms, I suppose Primordial is a little bit more old fashioned, a kind of more old fashioned, traditional heavy metal band. As I said, the Bruce Dickinson model um, probably has rubbed off somewhere there and standing still and brooding um, isn't exactly my um, forte. I think I'm too agitated to do that. But that is what you have to do. Overall, playing big festivals is by and large a great experience. It's something that I really enjoy. Um, it is stressful, of course, being a, a cog in the machine and it's somewhat impersonal. Um, but that's just how it is. The fact that you also get to play the personal festivals as well is the compensation. So, for example, Hellfest is on the same weekend as the Houses of the Holy on the Mountain in Austria, which is the complete antithesis of what a big festival is. It is the uh, ultimate personal um, festival, um, you know, which feels like family, feels like something magical and special. Um, but to go from one to the other, that's the beauty of being um, I suppose, in a band or being able to do both of those things, be in both of those worlds. And that's something I wouldn't trade, um, being in the mainstream, but also being able to play, um, as I said, the Houses of the Holy. Anyway, my friends, just a ramble across a day at Hellfest. Um, and I didn't get sunburnt and I didn't lose my voice and I stayed hydrated. Well, my friends, Agitators Anonymous Tuesday episode, stay hydrated out there. That is the moral of this heavy metal story. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.